Hello and welcome to episode 24 of Real Life Ghost Stories. We are back once again. First things first, we'd like to say thank you to our Patreon pledgers this week. We would like to thank Christian Varela. Shanita. Shanita. Shanita? Shanita. Fill us in, let us know. Shanita Varela. Renee B. Poulter. Charlotte Evans. Thea Granger. Rachel Monahan. Jack Marks. Alyssa. And Beth Knott. I hope I've said that right. Think it's not? I'm not sure. Must be not. Can't be cannot. And I feel like Alyssa is really famous because she's just, just she's Alyssa. A, she's mono's, mono. She's got a mono name, like yeah. Cher. Yeah, and Bono. Alyssa. But cooler than Bono, obviously, because everyone's cooler than Bono. Yeah. Thank you so much for your pledges. We really appreciate it. And we hope that you enjoyed our first video that we did this week, which actually wasn't as horrific to edit as I thought it would no, be. No, you did so a good job. I've quit my job. And I'm starting a career as a YouTuber. This was going to happen. Oh, it's I not actually. I didn't know no. this. You didn't tell me. No, that's definitely not, never okay. going to happen. Our review this week is The Ritual. And The Ritual was released in 2017. It has 6.3 out of 10 on IMDb and 73% on Rotten Tomatoes. Would you like a synopsis? I would like a synopsis. Even though we please. literally finished watching it like an hour ago. Yes, but tell me anyway. Just I've forgotten already. Following the sudden violent death of their best mate, four young men reunite for a hike through the Scandinavian wilderness. Deep in the black Nordic forest, they find themselves lost in a hell of sinister nightmares and pagan sacrifices. For these ancient woods are home to a malevolent deity which will force them to face the darkness inside of themselves. Now, what were your thoughts on this film? I thought this film was great. I know that's not a major statement when it's coming from me because I like most films, but I really enjoyed this. I liked the storyline. I was intrigued by the storyline. I thought it was dark and creepy enough to provide some scares. And the thing wasn't as weird and badly CGI'd as I thought I was worried it was going to be. Often when you have like creature features or things of this ilk, when you actually finally get to see the monster, you're disappointed. Yeah, so it's not like Quiet Place or... Well, in Signs, I think, is the classic signs. example where you see glimpses of it the whole way through and then when you finally see you're the sure alien, signs you're like... Signs are not Sixth Sense? Definitely Signs. Okay, just checking. If you if you don't get that joke, you need to watch the video because I got really passionate about it, the film being the Sixth Sense and it wasn't what I was talking about. I was actually talking about Signs. I thought this film was brilliant. I absolutely loved it. Shocker. Loved it. I was gripped the whole way through. I loved every second of it. And I thought... That, like you said, the, the whole film centres around this Nordic deity. and I can't, It's called an, an Utan, Something potentially. Like that, yeah. And I looked it up and they're basically giants of the forest, but they're malevolent. They're not devious like fairies or elves. They have to be, that sacrifices have to be made to them to appease them. And this monster, spoiler alert, is this big fucking elk looking thing. But it's really cool. Like yeah, I thought it was really I cool. thought it was brilliant. It was really folk horror and interesting and fascinating yeah. and like oh it was I loved it. Loved the film. I thought it was brilliant. I liked the shots that they had of the forest as well, because I think they just constantly kept showing you how dense forest is mm-hmm. and how easy it is to get lost in it. I thought that was really sort of like because they kept getting turned around and they basically had no idea where they were. They were taking a shortcut and they didn't work out. Standard um, for these films. Yeah. Let's take a shortcut through the forest. Let's fucking not. Let's not do that. <laughs> But it just goes to show like how easy it is to get lost in somewhere in like a big forest where it's really dense because everything, every direction just looks the same. All you yeah. can see is trees. And I guess it was like an alle- almost an allegor- allegorical story about facing your demons. But yeah, facing your demons literally, literally yeah. and figuratively. Because I thought for the longest time during during the film, I was like saying to Stan, this is really Lord of the Flies-esque where they're terrified of this beast. But the beast is a reflection of their own fears rather than it being 
an actual beast. And then they started dying. And then they started dying. <laughs> and I was like, hmm. I don't know if your own internal fear can can hang you from a tree and rip out your insides. But what do I know? Yeah, maybe. I'm not a psychologist. That maybe, yeah, psychologists, let us know if that is something that can happen. Because if it is, I don't want to be scared no more. I also thought the acting was brilliant. Yeah, it was really good. Rave's Fall was excellent, I thought. Yeah, um, and I thought their reactions to things were very human and very genuine. Yeah, and annoying. That guy in the glasses, he oh, busted his knee. Oh, I fucking wanted him to die. Oof. Oh, I was ready for him to die. Really was. From the very beginning, I was like, he's a dick. Let's get rid of him. But they, they at one point, at the very beginning of the film, they find a cabin and they go, and st- it's raining really badly. So they decide, you know what, we'll sleep in the cabin for shelter. And upstairs in the cabin, they find this wicker man fucking looking thing. This, uh, which, which Dan and I were like, oh, it's obviously some sort of like deity. It's it's some sort of God. And in the middle of the night, they all have these crazy nightmares, which are really horrific. But they find one of the guys upstairs naked, pray in a praying position to this deity. And that just set it up for me. I was like, this is horrific. It was really clever. I thought I just, I really enjoyed it. I still didn't understand the marking though. And what it was about him that left him marked so that he wasn't sacrificed. The girl said... Something. We're giving so much away about this film. I'm really sorry. We're not telling you which guy, but the girl said your your trauma is worse than everybody else's. Mm. It was all about his fear and his sadness because obviously in the beginning something happens, and it he carries the guilt around with him. But it, it's absolutely stunning. Definitely Loved worth it. A watch. Definitely. And I love anything to do with mythology, like woodland deities, all of that Nordic really ancient lore about the things that live in the forest and how That's to appease them. Genetic makeup, though, isn't it? Because you're like 40% Nordic, aren't you? Oh, yeah, I did a DNA. DNA test and I'm like, pretty much Nordic. I'm a Nordic elf. That's what I came back as. Yeah, so what, what rating would you give this film out of five? I'd actually give it five. Like, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a really good film. It was scary. It wasn't like the scariest thing I've seen. But in terms of a film, I really enjoyed it. Maybe as a horror film, maybe four. But just as a film in general, I'll give it five. I really enjoyed it as a concept. I like the way it shot. I thought the acting was good. I thought the monster was... Was new, isn't it? Yeah, and Something kind of different. believable, as far as believable monsters go. I right. would also give it five. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I really liked it. Mark the date, everybody, of this podcast episode. Emma has given a film full marks. I really enjoyed it. I loved it. I thought it was really clever. Good. I was suitably frightened, but also really intrigued by the whole thing. And the psychology of it in- interested me, because I thought for the longest time that it wasn't real. That was all in their heads. And then I also liked I liked the uh, human element of it, how people react in these situations. And it leads us brilliantly into this week's episode. Doing an episode about elk, about Vikings. Is that the plural of elk? Yeah. Elk. Or is it elks? Oh. elk. (laughs) Our topic this week is missing people in US national parks. Ding, 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 ding. Ding, 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 This is something I know that you love. Yeah, I do. You I are re- you're going to have so much to say about this. I do. I like it because I think the woods, like particularly in the States, the forests are so vast and so massive and creepy. And there's so many things going on that I'm sure you're going to tell us about. I will tell I you about. I find fascinating and scary. So the first story that I have for you, I took from Thought Catalogue. I probably is that have... like the Argos Catalogue? Yeah, it is, but Where for thoughts. Your thoughts and then... Yeah, and then they get delivered to your door. Amazing. I probably have done more research for this topic than I have for any other topic that we have, that we have covered. Wow, because you do research quite hard. I do. I do a lot of research during the week yeah. for each topic. And this one I did more for. I must have watched about 4,000 videos about this topic. I actually thought that this 
article surmised kind of everything that I wanted to say quite eloquently. And I'm going to read you two different stories today. So the first one we'll have some talk about afterwards and then we'll look at the second one. And I've got a lot of theories to pitch at you as well about what is actually going on in these national parks. Are you ready? I am not ready for this, but I am looking forward to it. So that's good. Let's do this. It sounds like an urban legend. An author and a former policeman was on vacation when he was approached by two off-duty rangers who asked him to look into the number of people who go missing in the national park system. They were too afraid of retaliation to appear in uniform and asked that the national park that they work for and the time period they met the author to be kept secret. The cases he found were strange and numerous enough that the man, David Paulides, has since written six volumes of work documenting the phenomena. The books called the Missing 411 series explore what Pelides calls a mysterious series of worldwide disappearances defying logical and conventional explanations. While Pelides isn't the most reputable source, he's also a cryptozoologist having spent years researching Bigfoot, his research raises questions that would make anyone wonder. For instance, why is something so simple as a list of people currently missing in national parks so elusive? The National Park Service has no database where missing people are tracked across the system. Because of this, no one even knows how many people are currently missing in parks. There's also the sheer volume of missing persons cases that would qualify as especially strange. Here are a few examples. Lillian Kearney. Lillian was from Maine, which is 15 miles west of the Canadian border and surrounded by lakes, rivers and ponds. Six years old, she went missing August the 8th, 1897 at noon. Lillian and her parents were blueberry picking. People going missing while picking berries seems to be a theme in these cases. They were there for a short amount of time and the parents said she just vanished. They searched for an hour and then they got some people in the area to help. By the following morning, there were 200 searchers there calling for Lillian. Paulide said when searchers are looking for someone, they call the person's name, say that they are their friend and that they're there to help. Paulide said the missing 411 cases, the searchers never get a response, which is strange if people are lost, cold or hungry. On Tuesday, around 300 residents arrived to search and at 10am, a guy named Bert Polland found her somewhere between two or three miles from where her parents last saw her. There wasn't much detail in the article about where they actually found her. While Lillian didn't say a lot, she made a really interesting statement. The sun shined all the time while I was in the woods. Paulide said that's a weird thing for a six-year-old to say. The weather was stated in the news article as being cloudy and that she had spent two nights outside because she was missing for four to six hours. The interviewer commented that she must have been referencing something to say something like that and while she was describing it as a sunlight, it might not have been. He also says for the time period you're not going to find an area like that with very bright artificial lights. John Doe. John Doe was a three-year-old boy who was missing near Mount Shasta at 6.30pm and was found later at 11.30pm. This is how he recounted his missing time. He tells a story that he was taken into a cave that he thinks is underground. He says he knows that it is dark outside, but when in the cave, I could see the entrance and it's light outside. He said he is with a woman who looks like his grandmother, and he thought it was his grandmother. In the cave, he saw other things that look like people, but they are robots and they aren't moving. After a while, he figures out that the woman isn't his grandmother, even though she is nice and polite with him. He concludes that she's a robot too. He said there was some unusual light coming from her head. 
She started to get pushy, took out some sticky paper and put it on the ground and asked him to defecate onto it. He said he didn't need to go and she got mad. He said he saw small guns and things around the perimeter of the cave and they all had dust on them. The case of Stephen Kabaki, who went missing for 15 months, then woke up in a field wearing different clothes. In February 1978, Stephen, a student at the time learning German, went missing in the Michigan area, USA, an area known as the Great Lakes Triangle, which is written about in a book by Jay Gourley that talks about the disappearances of hundreds of ships, boats and aircraft. Polides says that this is a great book for research purposes. Stephen said he was going to go skiing. They found his skis and his poles on the beach of Lake Michigan and footprints on the ice leading up to the lake. They flew over the lake and the footprints appeared to stop. They found his backpack in the same general area. In May 5th, 1979, 15 months later, Stephen walked up to his father's door and said he didn't remember much. He woke up in Pittsfield, 40 miles from his father's house, lying in a meadow wearing clothes that weren't his. He had a small satchel beside him with maps that weren't his. Where he woke up was 700 miles from Lake Michigan. Reporters asked him if he would talk to somebody. He said he didn't need to because he didn't have any psychological problems. After 1983, Stephen got a master's in linguistics and a PhD in clinical psychology. Polides got in touch with him, but he didn't respond to calls or emails. There are also people who have self-reported strange incidents in the parks. An Iraqi war veteran who wrote about how he thinks he was almost snatched from a park. A woman and her son who have three hours of missing time while on a trail. Another woman's account of finding herself in a different location than she was while hiking. About three quarters of a mile into the hike on a well-marked trail, I walked maybe five feet off the trail to have a look at a brightly coloured sign attached to a tree, which gave the name of the national forest I was in. I read the sign, turned around to get back on the trail, and literally the trail was not there. It had disappeared. Another veteran recounts a bizarre experience hiking in the park with his son. As I looked back, I noticed that the trail I was walking on lost all sense of familiarity. There were trees I didn't see, certain plants I knew for sure weren't there before. But regardless, I kept my composure and stared deeply into the woods to see what made that snapping sound. I scanned the area and didn't see any life forms, but for some reason my eyes started to fixate on a particularly unnerving dark section of the forest. For whatever reason, my entire body started locking up and every single alarm bell in my head was pinging. No matter how hard I tried to focus on this dark patch, I couldn't see shit. I had the weirdest sensation of being able to see each individual branch and plant in high detail, but I could not focus on the scene overall. It was super blurry. I also felt my internal fight or flight mechanism flicking between two decisions faster than a coin and a coin toss. Others say there's nothing mysterious about the disappearances at all. That it's a normal amount of people to fall off a cliff, drown or get eaten by bears. National parks, like many other systems in our government, are vast and don't always communicate with each other, which is why there isn't a database that lists all the missing people. Another explanation for the strangeness of the missing people is lost person behaviour. Typical behaviour for people who believe they are lost are not always what we think it should be. While there are many troubling cases if you dig deep enough, the same is true of missing person cases at large. The world is a scary place full of mysteries that we will never know the answer to. So that's our first dipping our toe into the water of missing people. What are your thoughts so far? All aliens, obviously. Some body snatching going on. Maybe some human trafficking. Cryptids. Time slips. Okay, that was a rather (laughs) extensive list in terms of depth of each thing. But we'll get to that at the end. So the thing is, 
the reason I've given you like so many different things is that I actually think chances are that the higher number of missing people's cases are all missing people for different reasons. I don't think you can categorise them all as one So you can't thing. say, oh, they're all this thing? No, not at all. Okay. Shall we continue? Yep. So we're going to go to, we're going to go back to David Paulides because he is the number one expert, and I use the word expert in inverted commas, yeah. on this topic. I heard a podcast with him once by that. I heard trainer. an interview with him um, during the week, and it was—I yeah. mean, it was interesting. He's yeah. a very—he's a very believable man to yeah. listen to. Not that I think he's lying. I don't think like these people are clearly missing because they're not they're where anymore. they should be. Yeah. But he is a very believable man. He's a very charismatic man. I think. Since he retired from the San Jose Police Department, David Polides has devoted his life to researching unsolved missing persons cases in a project he calls Missing Four One One. His efforts have yielded six books worth of stories, a documentary, and a map of clustered disappearances throughout the US. Though he remains hesitant to speculate what he believes may be behind the unexplained disappearances in national parks, Polides says he thinks government agencies may be hiding information or denying the fact there is something truly strange happening. Earlier this year, an unexplained disappearance in a national park made headlines when a man turned up on the other side of the country a week after he went missing, oblivious as to how he got there. Luckily, he came too, relatively unscathed, but with a confusing chain of events that brought him from upstate New York to Northern California. David Philippidis, a 49-year-old Toronto Fire Department captain, was on an annual ski trip with his colleagues in Lake Placid, New York. After a day of skiing at Whiteface Mountain, Philippidis told his friends he was going to take one last run and meet them at the bottom. But it soon became apparent that he had disappeared. Despite his shoes and clothes remaining in his lodge and his car in the parking lot, unable to contact his cell phone, friends and families reported him missing to the police, instigating a search party to comb the mountain and surrounding area for the next six days. After 7,000 man-hours of helicopter search and rescue, snowmobiles scouring the mountain and volunteers digging through the snow, Philippides turned up in Sacramento, 2,900 miles away, and absolutely unaware of how he got there aside from a vague memory of sleeping in a truck. He was still wearing the same ski outfit, including his helmet and goggles, but in that time he had managed to purchase a cell phone and had gotten a haircut. Philippides went missing from the Adirondack Park, one of 30 hotspots for strange disappearances identified by Polides. In those hotspots, many are state or nationally protected parks where people recurrently vanish under dubious circumstances. Making a note of this some years ago, Paulides filed an FOIA request against the National Park Service asking for a list of missing persons. That's a Freedom of Information Act, in case you're trying to figure out what that abbreviation stands for. Throughout all national parks in the country, he was aware that the Park Service had a federally trained law enforcement branch familiar with the standard protocols of any police agency, meaning they should have records of missing persons within their jurisdiction. Despite not needing to provide a motive for an FOIA request, Paulides was questioned by an attorney for the Park Service as to why he was interested in obtaining a missing persons record. He was told he would get the information regardless, but they just wanted to know why. When he just said he was doing research, he was told no such record existed. When he pushed back, asking what it would take to obtain such a list, he was told that he would need to pay $1.4 million for a comprehensive national list, or $34,000 for Yosemite Park alone. Polita's interest in the subject was initially sparked by a conversation he says he had with two off-duty park rangers. The rangers told him there was a multitude of uncanny disappearances in national parks, implying that the park service was covering them up 
and covering up its inability to explain them or not devoting an appropriate amount of energy to investigating them. The rangers told him of some eerie circumstances surrounding the disappearances, including the recurring discovery of neatly placed clothes of those who went missing. The ranger described to me, if you were standing straight up and you just had your pants on and you melted directly into your pants, that's what it looked like to them. The pants would be lying on the ground in a very neat pile, Polide said. The cases often involve young children vanishing within short periods, out-of-character disappearances and ostensibly paranormal scenarios. The missing 411 phenomenon has become so popular it has its own 14,000 member subreddit, an online forum where people discuss different cases, share their personal experiences and debate the validity of the various theories. As for the case of Danny Philippides, it might simply have been a concussion, resulting in an unintentional cross-country hitchhiking trip before he woke up from a state of delirium. A somewhat normal explanation, but a bizarre one nonetheless. But Polides says there are quite a few cases like this in this mountain range, with less clear circumstances and much fewer happy endings. And this mountain range is just one park of many in the country that have similar disappearances histories. One of the strangest stories often brought up in this context is the disappearance of Dennis Martin in the Great Smoky Mountain National Park. On June the 14th, 1969, Martin was out with his family playing in Spence Field, a mountain meadow on the Appalachian Trail between North California and Tennessee. While playing with his nine-year-old brother, another family came along, asking if the boys could play with the Martins. Oddly, that family said their last name was also Martin. While both the Martin family's kids played hide and seek, Dennis's father watched his son until he hid in the bushes for a few minutes. Little did he know it would be the last time he would ever see his son. According to Polides, another man, Harold Key and his family, were hiking in the area around the same time, 4.30pm, when they heard a loud, sickening scream. His son pointed out to his father that he thought he saw a bear running through the woods, but his father said the figure looked more like a large, rugged man trying to remain hidden in the brush. Upon hearing about Dennis Martin's disappearance the following day, Key reported his family's sighting of an unkempt man running in the woods, though the FBI dismissed it, saying he was too far away to draw any connection. Eventually, the Army Green Berets were brought in to comb the area, finding no evidence of the boy. But Polide said there was something strange about their search efforts. They acted autonomously, not conferring with the FBI or local law enforcement, and were heavily armed, as if expecting a serious confrontation, but they found nothing. Decades passed and the Martins stopped speaking to the public about their son's disappearance until Polides made a cold call to their door one day, the same place they had lived since Dennis's vanishing. At first Martin wouldn't speak about it, but Polides convinced him to, telling him that he had dedicated his life to studying myriad cases like Dennis's. Martin told Polides the local news agencies didn't report a significant fact that Key had told the FBI, that the figure he saw running through the woods that day had something slung over its shoulder. He also brought up the fact that there have been 12 other disappearances in that area since his sons, with a single FBI agent assigned to them all, until that agent committed suicide one day, and nobody knows why. Paulides filed a Freedom of Information request to acquire any information he could on that agent's investigation, which he eventually obtained. Within those files was a complete lack of any mention of the key family sighting, a bizarre omission to say the least. According to Polides, the National Park Service is aware of wild men who live off-grid in the woods of Appalachia and other forests around the country. These wild people clothe themselves in animal pelts, hence the boys' confusion of seeing a bear. 
Similar accounts have been reported in places like Louisiana, where a hunter once encountered what he referred to as a feral human. He believed these wild humans may be misconstrued as the mythological Bigfoot, a cryptid that Polides just happens to have devoted a significant amount of time researching. Reports of encounters with the homeless or transients on the Appalachian Trail aren't uncommon either, though typically they're benign meetings. Conditions are so inhospitable there that vagrants are usually just looking for food or a warm place to sleep. Unfortunately, the Dennis Martin case will likely remain unsolved, in addition to countless others Polides has so tirelessly documented. Could there be any validity to the assertion that wild or feral humans inhabit these forests, abducting people for unknown reasons, or is it simply an urban legend told around campfires to scare the unwitting? In either case, the abductions are real, and Polides seems to believe a cover-up of some sort is being carried out by the National Park Service and other government agencies involved. In the meantime, he continues to document them, hoping to one day help at least one family that has fallen victim to these secret vanishings in national parks. Would you like to hear some theories? I would, yes. Hit me with them. Theory number one. People are being attacked and or eaten by bears or mountain lions. Um, I think that's probably highly likely in some of the stories, uh, particularly with, unfortunately, with little kids when they go missing and turn up dead later. I think more than likely that is probably a wild animal of some description. Yeah, mountain lions hide their prey in trees because they don't want other prey to be able to have access to it. And they generally will drag a body upwards. They drag it to a height because lots of people... There's a really famous case of a little boy who went missing and he was, you know, his shoe was found in perfect condition like 10 years later and they found his body and the dad brought the clothes that were found to like mountain lion experts and they were like there's no way this is a mountain lion because they go for the stomach and the jumper wasn't damaged but actually if you're being dragged it's likely that your jumper's going to ride up a mountain lion isn't going to need to mm. attack and kill a child because they can just drag a toddler away and i think that in a lot of these cases mountain lions or bears are very likely and i, I don't i also think that you can't say that's not the MO for a mountain lion or a bear because we are inhabiting more and more of their space. So they are changing and adapting their hunting techniques to suit the fact that there are more humans in their spaces than there ever were before. Yes. I haven't got anything else to say. covered everything, really. Okay, so <laughs> doesn't explain the cases where people disappear and show no, up No, and elsewhere. I think it's, it's probably more likely to be the, one, the smaller ones because they're more likely to, to take things that they know they can take down aren't they if they're not likely to attack things that are bigger than them unless they're injured or wounded which is also a possibility if you're hiking that you can do stuff to yourself that can limit your capacity to i also don't understand why these people have children up the mountains like why are these little three-year-olds hiking along trails are, are kids able? i just don't know i, mean, I don't know much of, about small children are they able to do things i think it's quite common to go camping and woods and hiking stuff like that in america it's a more of a tradition that is here because I guess they're more likely to get the weather for it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And they've got more space to do Big it in as well. Big spaces. Yeah. I also dispute the accounts that these three-year-old children are apparently giving. Like that little boy with the robot cave. I know some three-year-olds. I'm aware of their existence. I do not imagine they would be able to tell me that story. Uh, I think he probably saw those things and that's actually an accurate reflection. I think he probably was taken by androids. Okay, well, we'll get to that. Into an underground layer. We shall get to the androids. Theory number two, Bigfoot. I want to address some facts about Bigfoot that I found out this week that I did not know were real. A, a lot of people believe that Bigfoot 
can camouflage itself like a predator type situation and turn invisible in the forest. I Why are you that's, laughing? That's not funny. That's clearly come from Predator. I don't actually think that's true. I think someone watched Predator and then someone else said, oh yeah, that's, uh, yeah, Bigfoot. <laughs> that's yeah. why you can never get photos of yeah. Bigfoot because he's fucking Predator. Maybe Predator was actually Bigfoot, you know? I think it's more likely the fact that if you think about most wild animals, their fur is designed to be... Oh, like tigers. ...oblivious in certain habitats, isn't it? So mm-hmm. it's more likely that actually as he's as the Bigfoot family tree has evolved, then actually it's more likely that his fur sits or is coloured in a way that actually makes him hard to see in the woods. I don't think he's actually... I'm not, I'm not enjoying the Prince assumption of. that all Bigfoot are male, by the way. You know, there's there has to be female Bigfoot. Yeah, but Big they're feet. at home doing the cooking, right? <laughs> I'm horrified by the fact that you just said that. And I'm not cutting that from the episode either. <laughs> I can see that that was where you were going with it. Anyway. I know you were. Also, there are, and the other thing that people believe about Bigfoot is that Bigfoot is actually some sort of alien that has the ability to travel in portals okay through time hang on, hang on, hang on. which is why there are bigfoot sightings on every continent in the world okay so let's take that basically <laughs> what these people have done is they've taken something that is already batshit crazy yep. and gone hmm how can we make this more believable i know let's add an element to it that's even crazier because surely then the people will believe us no bigfoot is not an alien it's you say this like you have like you're you're fucking Peter Parker, do you know? I think it's like, a thing, and I think that there's just variations of it around so the world. So do you, do you believe in Bigfoot? Yeah, I think I do, actually. I'd love, I actually quite like cryptids. I think cryptids are one of the paranormal things that I'm really fascinated by, that I'm more ready to believe than anything else, because I think there's a lot of, na- of, the, lot of the natural world that we don't understand. So I'd like to think there are creatures that are out there that are like, different I think Bigfoot I'm not entirely sure if I do believe it he's not, I don't think he's a giant ape though I think he's probably more likely to be a um, alien predator oh like the missing link type thing yeah I don't I think it's probably he's probably just a, he's probably a human that has been a bit feral theory number three alien abductions now I want to point out some facts about these disappearances there are a disproportionately high number of people with disabilities who disappear and there are a higher than average proportion of physicists, particularly German physicists, who disappear. Just I'm just putting that out there with the alien abduction theory because I thought they might sit well together. No, I think the German physicists are something else. I think that there might be one or two cases out of the thousands that potentially are alien abductions. I think that little boy was probably taken by aliens. Because that's the, that's the kind of thing you do, isn't it? You want to examine feces and stuff, so putting a bag on the floor and saying, poop in this, that's, that's kind of like an I don't know, I feel like if I was an alien, I don't really want, want to be looking at anybody's shit. But they, you that's part you, you have to do that as part of, as a biologist, you look at feces and things like that. Yeah. Because it gives you an, in, in, an insight into how the internal organs well, digest things. Well, considering and, the power of speech that this three-year-old boy had, I'd probably just ask him, really, than asking him to shit on a piece of paper. Not, yeah, but he won't be able to tell you his scientific how poo works would he but i do think that some of them some of these are alien abductions i don't think i've got a different theory for that man that went skiing in new york and ended up in california but i do think some of these potentially are alien abductions theory number five there is a secret government alien sex slave trafficking ring that is centered around abducting people from these national parks and selling them on other planets 
for use in alien zoos and for sex trafficking. And there is a man who apparently used to work for the government, can't remember his name, which is obviously not very helpful, who swears that these people are being delivered to extraterrestrials that live in underground bases on Earth to use as sex slaves. <laughs> I can't believe I managed to say all that without laughing. That sounds like something Sidney Sheldon would write. I don't know who that is. He's a he's a he's a author that writes like crime novels that always end up being about aliens. In the end, okay, it's quite trashy, but it's you know it's good easy read. Um, no, just absolutely not. That is the most. Ridiculous. I think like if aliens if aliens are taking people, then they might well be being used for some of those things. But I don't think the government's working with the aliens. That's ridiculous. I think the whole idea is ridiculous that there's a secret sex slave trafficking trade thing that's but maybe absolutely that, maybe independently so if a human thing that might be and then or aliens taking people to do those things with them to other dimensions other planets separately yes together no okay number six time slips yes 100% you love a time slip absolutely though. why do you think it's time slips I think there's lots of sort of characteristics of it like that guy that says like experienced hikers recognise trails like they have ways of tracking where they are beyond just using um, compasses and that guy that gave his account of, of looking and then realising that the things around this trail were different. And then he eventually reappears where he's supposed to be. Or the woman that goes off the trail to look at a sign and then comes back and the trail's gone. That sounds like a time slip to me. Maybe it was pre-existence pre, pre of a trail. trail trails, are like actual official trails within national parks are relatively new in the scheme of things. So maybe that was a time slip. I absolutely think that some of these are. That would explain lost time, not recognising where they were, potentially being in daylight when they disappeared at night. All those kind of things can be covered by time slips if time slips are real. So do you think, you know, the people that like wake up at the other side of the country? No. Think they're time slips? Nope. What do you think happened to them then? Have you got, not got any more theories? I do, yeah. I've got oh, two Oh yeah, more. I'm not going to tell you in case it comes up. Okay. Theory number seven. These things happen near berries, large bodies of water and boulder fields. Nobody knows why that's a thing, but there is a huge link between those three elements and these disappearances. Berries could, berries could explain a lot of the, a lot of the crazy things that those people that go missing for a while and come back naked are yeah. doing because they actually tend to try stuff because they've eaten something poisonous and also or hallucinogenic. It doesn't even need to be like. And also, berries are going to be a place where small prey go to feed. Yeah. So a big animal like a mountain lion is going to know that berries are a good place to find some prey. I don't think aliens are hunting people by their love of berries. No. If I go outside and I see a pile of berries and a big fucking rope around it, I'm not going to eat them because I'm going to know that's a trap. If I'm in the wilderness, I'm not going to be like, shit, I'm not going to eat those berries in case an alien abducts me. It's a gnat. Like, and the fact that they happen near big bodies of water. Has anyone ever heard of the fact that people drown? Yeah. All the time. And the boulder fields is quite easy to explain as well because they all look very similar. So it's quite easy to get lost. If you look yeah. in, Like I was saying about the movie earlier, if you're in dense forest, everything looks similar. Or the same, actually. It's really easy to get lost. And it's the same with boulder fields. They're very not, they're just lots of big rocks. And so it's easy to take a wrong turn and actually end up somewhere you're not supposed to be. Or to slip on unstable ground, injure yourself and, and yourself. then get carried away. And then get carried away or then get left. Yeah. Where people are looking for you but not looking in the most obvious places. Yeah. My final theory, which is my own theory. Okay. Which is, have you ever heard of the theory of Occam's razor? No. The theory is that in any situation, the simplest explanation is always true. 
Yeah, which would say there's multiple reasons for different things. Just depends what the case is. So, if, so time slips valid, aliens valid. If you've got a situation where you have to make assumptions, you've got to go with the simplest theory because that is most likely what happened. When people, the, one of the articles that was written, one of the girls who wrote the article, or I read during the week, she put a caveat in it where she was like, I'm a really experienced hiker. And she said that recently her and her friend went hiking and they went off the trail to look at something and got lost and literally hiked around in circles for hours. The entire time they were yards away from their campsite, but they just couldn't find it because of the density of the forest and because they started to panic. And people who panic do really strange things. And there's also a lot of people get found without their clothes. And we've talked about before how one of the paradoxes of hypothermia is that you feel really hot and people take all their clothes off when they're suffering from hypothermia. So I think that these people get lost and that's it. I don't think there's anything untoward happening to these people. I think they get lost. I think they get injured. They fall and hurt themselves. They die of exposure and that's it. And I think the people who disappear and show up whatever amount of time later, I don't necessarily believe that those people don't have any memory of what happened. There are plenty of people in the world who choose to make themselves disappear for long periods of time. Damn it, that was my theory. Oh, really? Yeah, that's what I was going. Well, what was your theory? Because well, I read I read the book called, I've got two. I've got one that's crazy, which I will go into. Um, yeah. But my, my more logical one is like when I was reading Gone Just Gone by that father and son duo whose name I can never remember. I think it's Bob, Bobinovich. Bobinovich. They were saying actually that the reality is that people just leave and sometimes they need to they make a choice to disappear and yeah. it is actually relatively easy to disappear and he cites a case of a, a mother that walked out on her husband and two kids and they presume that she was dead because she just left them in a really weird situation like she was picking them up from school or something like that and just never appeared and then she rocks up 20 years later and she'd just been living as a homeless person yeah she'd just like been a vagrant vagrant for 20 years out of choice because she couldn't handle the pressure of whatever was going on in her life and that's but the choice was... that she made and they'd made they'd had a funeral for her they'd made the assumption that she was dead the police had concluded that she died somewhere and actually she'd just been living as a vagrant there was another case as well a quite similar one of a woman who just left her life she had kids she had a husband left her life and everyone assumed she was dead and she turned up like 40 years later and she had started a new life it, under a complete under a new name started mm. a new life living in a different completely different world but like that whatever whatever the pressures were going on she just couldn't handle it and actually i think that people would prefer to think something horrible has happened to my husband or my brother or my son mm. or my mother or whoever it is rather than actually admit that maybe they did just go well that's what happened with when she came back because the kids and the kids and the husband just couldn't understand why she chose to just leave, leave them like that like yeah. they just couldn't get over it and actually they weren't able to to reform the family after that because it was just too difficult they'd say goodbye to her and they couldn't they couldn't comprehend that actually it was a conscious choice to leave them at the age that they were at so that's like super sad and actually i think the guy that went skiing i think he probably did hurt himself no well he disappeared only disappeared for like a day or two no it was seven days later wasn't it oh well maybe it was like a week later oh yeah he's the guy that was in the truck but i think he hurt himself see i don't think he did i think he made the choice to leave and then changed his mind because if you've hurt yourself, you don't get a haircut, you don't buy a mobile phone. No, well, people do weird things when they're in, like, no. periods of psychosis or periods no. of, like, trauma. They do. No, I think he'd made the choice to go and then backed out of it. And it's easy to just say, hmm, don't know what happened. Don't know what happened, yeah. It's really weird. Aliens. 
It's it's funny. Like I do think, but obviously, no. Explain what you're going to say, and then I'll say. I just think that there is a very there's a very human explanation for all of these things. There's on on missing four one one. There's that really famous case of the little boy. Uh, I can't remember his name. The little boy who goes missing from the campsite. I really think that it was either this is going to sound awful. That was either the parents that did it or granddad wasn't watching him properly and he either fell and got carried away in the river or he was carried away by an animal and the family are not able to deal with that. They're not able to deal with the fact that one of them was either directly or indirectly responsible for that child's death and therefore you create another story that makes it easier to understand. And there was that boy as well who I said earlier about they found his shoe and his his cranium. Like that dad let him at three years old go with his six-year-old sister with a group of Christians on a hike. And they weren't people that, like, they were people that he knew, but they weren't family. If I was him, I'd never be able to live with the guilt of doing that. But the razor theory, what was it called? Occam's razor. Occam's razor says that you should go with the most obvious. Yeah, the obvious explanation is... So with that man, the most obvious explanation was that he stumbled across a government-funded teleportation device. (laughs) In the woods. Stargate. <laughs> you laugh. But I have listened to an episode with Dave Schrader of his previous podcast, which I can never remember what it's called because it's not on my iTunes anymore because it doesn't exist, where he spoke to an ex-general of the army. Yeah. Who was apparently involved in teleportation experiments as a child. When I heard this, I was like, I've got to listen to this because this is the craziest this thing. This is the I Philadelphia experiment. Uh, might have been, I don't know. I don't think it was called the Philadelphia Experiment. But it was also the one... So he was involved, basically involved in time travel for the government. Okay. And they kept sending him back, him and his kids, back to the to Abraham Lincoln's assassination. Sounds crazy. Yeah, then, it really... Then, I'm not going to dispute he was talking on that one. It really does sound crazy. After that, they were using him to transport him from one side of the country to the other, from the East Coast to the West Coast. And literally all he did was walk through a gate and reappear. Now, it sounds crazy, right? But this guy... I listened to him speak and he spoke as if he was talking about walking down to his local store and getting a bread. It was so convincing. Like, obviously, the madness has overtaken him in all seriousness. In all seriousness, he's obviously mental. But it was in, like, I was listening. I started off going, this guy is, this is just insane. And then the more I listened to him, I started to question myself because he was <laughs> so convincing because he was literally talking about it as if it was the most, as if it was something that everybody did. So he's talking about this time travel. He's talking about these teleportations as if it was like, I've just walked down the corner to get around the corner to get a loaf of bread. It was insane. So if you can find Dave Schrader's old podcast and find that one, listen to this guy. He's clearly lost it, but it's very convincing with it. But then when I listen to David Polides, um, I listen to an interview with him where he talks about this and he always maintains, oh, I, I never give anybody any theories. You know, I never give a theory as to what is going on here because that's not my job. My job is to present people with facts. But what he does do is he presents facts in inverted commas and then raises his eyebrows. Do you know what I mean? It's like he is inviting people to speculate that this is all paranormal. And the fact that he doesn't... So he doesn't openly talk about the fact that he's a cryptozoologist and the fact that he's a Bigfoot aficionado. But if you have a predisposition to believe something before before you investigate something it is very likely that you're going to draw a conclusion that is linked to that. Like if you 100% believe in poltergeists and a photo frame falls off the wall, you're absolutely going to be convinced that that's what that is rather than something else. Do you know what I mean? So I don't, I don't think he's as 
um, clear cut I'm only presenting the facts as he likes to portray himself as and I do think that the national parks I, I believe that they don't keep the records because that's true that's they don't keep the records but I also think that is something that is born of laziness what are you what are you making faces at because you're just like you might as well I, just do this podcast on your own <laughs> every time I have something to say you, you change point midway through talking about something to cover it before I get a chance to say anything oh I'm sorry go on, there like is a government cover cover up going on yeah, but go it's on. a cover up because they're inadequate or what they're supposed to be doing that's all it is I was just I'm just agreeing with you but I was going to say that so there is a cover up but it's just because they basically haven't done what they should have been doing a long time ago and keeping an essential record. That's all it is. Yeah, do you know when you work in an office or you work in an establishment and it's like you realise that, you know, there was an easier way to do something, you know, five years ago, but nobody bothered to change it because it's just always the way it's been done. Yeah. Or somebody comes to you and they go, where are your records from? And you're like, oh, I don't, we, we've never, we've never, we've never done that. Are we meant to do that? Oh shit, do we have to do that? It's that, I think it's that kind of thing. Yeah. But there is, I still think like, although I've been quite matter of fact about this, it's because I've thought about it a lot because I really like it. I do think there is weird stuff going on in the forests. I don't Mm. think they're all explainable. But I'd say the majority of them are just people going missing, people choosing to go missing or unfortunately animal attacks and stuff like that. But I still think there's odd things in those forests. Somebody messaged me and said, have you seen the appearances of staircases in the middle of the forest? Yeah. But I don't know anything about it. So. That's so super scary. Like I don't like that at all. Like It's clearly just old abandoned we dwellings. We need to explain to people what it is. So there's loads of cases. That's a very accurate number. There are loads of cases where um, hikers report that they're just in the middle of nowhere in the forest and they just come across a staircase. Just, just a staircase Imagine. to nowhere, which would really freak me out. But logically, it's obviously what's left of an old dwelling. But it's just the fact that it's really common. Like it's actually more common than you think to come across these just these random staircases. Mm. And then there's also other stories that are attached to it about what happens if you go to the top of the staircase. Oh, what's meant to happen? Various different things. Like what? Like creepy stuff. Like you're supposed to die or be teleported or end up somewhere else. Or oh, I'd be straight up that staircase. I'd be like, let me at it, and then I'd be then I'd be shitting myself <laughs> when I you know ended up in California. Going, what the fuck? <laughs> Just climbed some stairs. Um, but yeah, that's I think that's a really creepy phenomenon phenomenon as well. And there probably you know there probably is um, particularly, and this is a bit um, stereotypical, but I think particularly somewhere like the Smoky Mountains in Virginia, there's a lot of backwards people. Not as in backwards as in moving backwards, but as in the backwoods. They oh, live backwoods in the people, backwoods. Yeah. Um, I think there are feral people in the woods. Yeah. I agree with and that. And I think they may well be taking people. And you don't want to know what for? No. No. And there's probably some kind of agreement with the rangers as well. Just leave them to in it. In those areas. You don't touch us. Ding, 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 ding. That's in Georgia, but yeah. I don't know. I was going to say the same thing. I know it's not the same thing, but... <laughs> so yeah, I do think there's an element of that as well. It wouldn't surprise me if there was some trial trafficking going on as well, as horrible as it is to say. But it does happen. So I think there's I think there's multiple reasons for it. And it looks suspicious because of... Because there's no explanation. Yeah, and because there's so many of them and because there's no records and stuff. But I think a lot of that's down to underfunding and understaffing yeah. and just gen- general bad practice in terms of record keeping. I'm sure a lot of it is more innocent and straightforward than yeah. you think. And I think when you when you're left with a hole where somebody once was and no closure as to what happened to them, you have to try and fill that void with something. Mm. And for a lot of people, it becomes oh my god, they were abducted, or oh my god, it was Bigfoot. And I think David Polides is unhelpfully helping people fill that void 
with absolute utter shite. He's a very interesting man, though. I, I've he's interesting. Thoroughly recommend too. finding stuff where he's been interviewed because he's got a lot of stories. Now, just get your mind um, ticking over. And there's also some really awesome threads on the internet about yeah. in the woods stories. And a lot of them are obviously creepy pasta style made up horror stories, but they're still cool to read if you just want to give yourself a fright. So we're going to leave it there this week. Good. We've got two new reviews. Our first one is from Clarice839. Hello, Clarice. 839. And it's entitled My New Favourite Podcast. Oh, I see what you did there. Yeah, you just got it. You didn't really put a voice on it. It was just What's like, the voice? Well, I don't know, but it was just your normal hello, Clarice, that you do oh. at the start of the podcast. Hello. Shit, so I, do I do a Hannibal Lecter voice at the start of the podcast? <laughs> Finally, a brilliant spooky podcast that has the right mixture of humour, scares, interesting conversations and fantastic hosts to boot. So many of the ghostly podcasts out there fall short of injecting any real sense of unease or they go the other way and it's very schlocky. It's very schlocky feeling hammer horror. Okay, that makes... All right, I get that now. The podcast is neither of those things and it is the better for it. Please don't stop podcasting the way you do. I just need to send in my story before Emma and Dan become too famous and popular to read it out. That's literally never going to happen. But thanks for <laughs> We will being neither be famous nor popular. <laughs> Although you say that, if you type in real life into Apple, we're the third one down. <laughs> and our second one comes from Denise Aguirre, Aguirre or Aguirre. Is it A G U I R R E? Yeah. yeah. It's a Mexican name. Oh, well done. Because I only know it because there's a footballer. Oh, okay. Javier Aguirre. Aguirre, is I it? I think. I ge- oh, and it's entitled Emma and Dan, the perfect spooky dynamic duo. I genuinely enjoy listening to this podcast. Emma and Dan have a great sense of humour. The podcast provides the perfect combo of spooky and scary. I binged listened to all 14 episodes in one day and I've already recommended it to two friends. I would definitely continue to listen and I'm excited for future episodes. Yeah. Thank you so much, Denise. And that is the big thing. If you like us, recommend us to people. And we are all about the binge life. If, you, yeah. if you've got 14 hours to spare. Slam those episodes. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and I just want to say at this point that if you have sent me a story and I haven't responded, I'm really sorry. It's not because I'm ignoring you. I will read out every single story we get sent eventually, but it's actually quite difficult to keep up. I know that sounds like I'm being really like, oh you my are God. Not responding saying, Thanks for the story. my hair going, look how brilliant we are, but it genuinely is a little bit difficult to keep up at times. And I do nothing, so Emma is on her own. So I agree. Yeah, so because I don't actually go, I don't actually like look at any of my messages until kind of the end of the day, I end up being like, oh God, I need to respond. And then I forget to respond. So I'm really sorry if I haven't responded to your messages. If you enjoyed today's episode, which really wasn't, ended up not being paranormal. But I think... paranormal. What is... Time slips. Okay, yeah. Time travel. Take it back. Bigfoot. Aliens. Androids underground. Government sex rings. That's not really paranormal. No. No, not, not at all. It's not normal. But, okay, it's not, that's, that's also <laughs> true. Um, yeah, so if you enjoyed it, make sure that you give us a little um, review on iTunes. Make sure that you tell your friends about us. And you can follow us on Instagram at Real Life Ghost Stories. You can follow us on Facebook. If you just give our page a like, it's Real Life Ghost Stories. And then we have a little super secret super group called something. You'll find it on the Facebook page. I can't remember. And the password is Emma and Dan. You can also find us on Twitter. 
at real ghost pod and you can email us your stories at real life ghost stories podcast at gmail.com if you have enjoyed today's episode and you're thinking oh my god i'm up to date i have no more episodes left you can subscribe to our patreon and for four dollars a month you get four extra episodes and you get some nice visuals of i wish us. that had been visual why <laughs> you're a little oh my god I've got nothing left to listen to. I enjoy it. Well, I liked it. So whatever. (laughs) Whatever. And always come and talk to us because I love chatting to you guys about various bits and pieces and about your ghost stories and about things that have happened to you and your commentary on the episodes. What do you think? Do you think the National Park disappearances are paranormal? I know we have a lot of American listeners. Have you had an experience in a national park that has made you go... Oh, that was fucking weird. Have you, know, you seen the staircases and have yeah. you come across any gates that allow you to teleport? Across the country. Yeah. And on that note... Happy WrestleMania. Oh, it's WrestleMania weekend. Enjoy WrestleMania if you're watching and we shall see you next week. Bye.